Patrick, thanks for taking time to chat to us this morning. No problem, Nicky. Thanks uh, for me. Uh, they are good to talk to you, and uh, it's not a bad morning. A little duller, but hopefully uh, spring is in the air. Patrick, how are you managing to cope with the whole um, working from home? I mean, you work in the financial services business and obviously as a busy councillor as well. Life is not normal for anybody, but especially for people who are uh, who have two busy roles. Yeah, look, it's, um, to be honest, I'm actually getting quite used to it. Um, and I think it really suits me better, um, pretty with the two roles. You know, previously when, you know, for, for meetings and council meetings and that, you know, I had to get up, leave the office, um, you know, drive to the meeting, come back. Um, you know, it took a lot longer. Now, you know, you can still have your work emails open. You can have your laptop on with your council meeting. You're, it, it, it's easier double job if you get me. So Sure. It's something maybe hopefully I'll be able to continue doing when when life gets back to normal. But and is that something that will happen in general? I'm, I'm thinking, as I said, you work in the financial services industry, and I mean people are working from home. They're managing the industries appear to be going okay. But how is this impacting on staff? I mean, you're not meeting with your colleagues because a lot of interaction takes place over the coffee. You chat about things, yeah. and staff have uh, developed relationships in terms of their working lives there. I think it's that there's definitely a need to find a balance. There is elements of the day job that are harder without the pub, without the face-to-face interaction. Because you know, so when I work, when I'm working in sales, you know, we rely on other departments in order to get you know clients over the line, sales through. And when you're not there face-to-face with them in the office, if there's something in an emergency, if they're not watching their emails or something else, or it, it can be a lot slower. Um, you know, whereas in the office you could knock on their door and say, "Look, can you have a look at this for me?" And can you sort this? Um, you know, there is that side of it. There are things that are a bit slower. Um, definitely, um, you know, you would... Look, I'd love... I, I think I'd like a, a split week myself long-term, a few days in the office, a few days at home. Um, but I think, you know, I think people, again, I talk to few of my colleagues who have maybe kids around primary school age in particular are finding it hard in particular. Um, you know, with this with this homeschooling side of it as well. And yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you that because having to cope with homeschooling, having to keep a job and a, a job working from home is very challenging for uh, for parents. Yeah, and you know you've seen it. You know. It's funny. It's funny how it all has gone, and you know, you you know the guys who have the small kids when you speak to them on the phone. Sometimes they can often be a little bit more stressed and 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 fed up with all. Um, whereas whereas I see, look, our our girl is only seven months, of so course, yeah. where it's it, in a way it's, it, it's been an excellent time for us to be able to spend time with her in her earlier months, and um, you know that. We're able to manage everything while having her with us at the same time. Yeah, you know, you'll, so. you'll be able to tell um, yourself and your partner will be able to tell that little girl a story or two when she grows up about her first year. Exactly, um, and look, whether life, well, the world will be so much more different for her as well as things go on anyway. And look, the world is adapting. I suppose I've been on work calls and conferences there. I mean, first ever virtual conference there last week I suppose with other businesses and it was very interesting to learn how they're adapting and the world is adapting I suppose this time last year when it was all kicking off I remember being in work and looking around and just going I think I was one of the few last few to leave the office actually but I remember you know we all still had to make sales um, but we were wondering where our next sale was going to come from you know because literally everywhere was shut down every business didn't know what was going on and you know but literally within a month businesses had adapted they changed their their business model, they had gone after different products, they started doing different things, you know, so I think, you know, it, it, it's amazing how quick humans adapt and business adapts 
in in a year's period, I suppose, to the current challenges that they're facing, you know. And how did you manage then, when you communicate with people outside the country, how are they managing, your your clients outside the country? Very similar to ourselves, to be honest. Um, they're all working from home, a lot of them. Um, they, you know, some are in, were in severe lockdown, some not so severe. Um, so the issue, then you had Brexit thrown in the middle, we'd deal, deal a lot with you know, we'd have a lot of transport companies, even car dealers, um, a lot of things dealing over and back in the UK, and the stress that it caused them at that period when all the custom checks were changing and trying to get product over between the two countries, it was a nightmare for them. Um, and what so are you finding now in that space since uh, Brexit? Obviously, things are uh, there's tension between uh, Britain and EU at the moment over the uh, over the Northern Ireland scenario. But from a, your own business perspective, have things settled down, or is it, is there they still some way to go? No, they have settled. No, they're not. It's not perfect, but it definitely after the first two weeks, it's definitely settled again. It's kind of people are. I don't think things have changed. I just think the businesses are, are adapting to it now again, and they know right things are going to be slower now so we need you know we need if we need this delivery by this date we need to do it a week earlier and uh, do the order a week earlier those kind of things again it's just adapting to new scenarios and you know in fairness I haven't had too many of my clients giving out about it in the last couple of weeks but initially when it all when the transition period over finished there a few weeks ago it was uh, it was a mess you know it's, no, probably, no it's, uh, it's probably what we could call the, the new normal in financial relations between uh, between countries yeah, exactly, 100%. Now, in terms of your work, uh, you mentioned obviously working from home, and I, I have it on my list, maybe down a little bit further, but it's, it's very relevant actually to talk about it now. You can work from home, and uh, just as a matter of interest, what's the quality of your broadband like? Yeah, we're lucky. We've we've good broadband. We're, we're just slightly, I say, the village in Bennett's Bridge, and I suppose in the initial plan, a lot of... Um, you know, all the villages are pretty much done, plus kind of maybe 500 metres or a kilometre of roads kind of leading into the village would have been would have been done, and then it kind of stops. So we're lucky we're on the we're on the fibre. We have fibre broadband here. Look, it's an old house. It's it's you know we need to we need to get I think boosters brought around the house. But look, from work working from the kitchen or the dining room, um, perfect. You know. Well, if you're getting understand. if you're getting broadband into the house, I'm not. I uh, wouldn't be feel too sorry for the rest of the house because as you said. Yeah. If you all boosters will sort that out for you. But obviously in your case you're lucky, but clearly it's been one of the big challenges of the lockdown, not just yeah. for home workers but for obviously homeschooling and that. I mean that the whole national broadband rollout, which got so much pub- publicity at one stage, absolutely nonsense in my view, it can't happen fast enough. Well that's it, exactly. And look, it's been an issue I in politics six, seven years you know, bad broadband has been a has been a problem from that period. I suppose the initial plan came along and was great for it solved a lot of the issues around the, the rural villages and those areas. But now, obviously, we have to fill in the gaps in between. And the last local elections, in particular, camps in the rural areas, it was literally every second door broadband, broadband, broadband. People, you know, even just kids in general, like world, world has gone so electronic these days, and kids, you know, are different different to what they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. They, you know, they, they rely a lot on technology, even for homework and schooling afterwards and if you have two or three kids or even four kids trying to log on to bad Wi-Fi in an evening you know one has to log off let another one log on and it's just a, a, it's just a complete nightmare and you're right it was, this has been in the pipeline for a long time discussed numerous times at government level and you know as many you know for, for the sake of giving out I suppose really what was going on about from, from other sides of the bench trying to you know 
make something out of nothing really when you know the need for broadband was there so maybe this should have happened a couple of years ago but for one reason or another it was delayed but yeah, look well it became it, it, the bottom line is it became a political football and uh, now think yeah. people realise how important it is and it, they're very quiet about it now when it's been delivered yeah absolutely well know? I mean it's, it was crazy at the time and can't happen fast enough now in terms of your work on the local authority what are the most pressing matters that your your constituents are contacting you about well, at the moment, we obviously have the county development plan that's coming. This public consultation is coming to um, coming close to the deadline there on the 12th of March. We have also, at the moment, there's those controversial issues down around Castlebany, that direction regarding, you know, proposed new wind farm. Wind farm, yeah. That's taken up a lot of, a lot of time at the moment. Um, a lot of just general planning issues in general, you know, the usual kind of bread and butter stuff. You know, people looking for advice on on queries they get from the planners or pre-planning or whatever, you know, that's, that's actually quite a lot of, of my stuff at the moment. Yeah, and the developments on the wind farm side, I know that's uh, Castle Banny, that's, mm. that's, that's outside your territory now, it's probably. You know, it's... You're, actually, it, you're just in it. Well, no, my literal, my literal area, the majority of that wind farm is in the Callan Thomas area. Interesting, I wouldn't, well, yeah. I didn't know the job. But it's interesting, there's so much happening in that. I see a piece on television the other day about wind farms in the in the REC outside uh, the kind of the, the town of Arklow and that. It's happening a lot more. Is it is it something that's inevitable? Because it does appear that from what they're talking about developing now, they're fairly well gone up in the sky. They're, they're talking about uh, really monsters. Are huge now, and I suppose, look... The, we would have been contacted by the by Creelcha and the company involved maybe back last summer they, they called they called us all, discussed their plans, what they were doing. Um kinda of hadn't heard anything about it since then until the planning application went in in January and to be honest, you know, look every a very pro renewable energy, pro green energy and all this and look we have targets to meet and we have an obligation to do so, but just don't feel right with how this has been carried out. You know, and look, COVID has played a part in it too. You know, the, like a lot of the locals there didn't even know this was happening until until the planning application course, went in. Yeah. And now they can't really get together now to put in a proper submission. There's very genuine concerns, you know, regarding the scale, the height, you know, their water quality, you know, wildlife, um, public... And I think the big one is just public consultation in general. Like, they just there hasn't really been that those meetings like not in a normal situation in something of a project that size there could be three or four public meetings from the companies bringing people in asking them answer questions they'll come away maybe make a few amendments uh, before they put in their final application and so that hasn't happened and I from from talking to locals they haven't really been getting any feedback at all from, like they're literally their phone calls emails to a certain extent are nearly being ignored or answered very late and just the answers they're getting are not very you know sure. You know, so like they're, 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 it's a big challenge for them. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a topic that's not going to that's going to be very much with us. Uh, another topic that's kind of I'm seeing an awful lot of all over the place is the whole notion of uh, walkways. Uh, obviously, the one in South Kilkenny just talks about one maybe up North Kilkenny, incorporating part of my own parish sort of area. Yeah. Lots of talk about that. That will need major investments. But I'm all for it. But I, I, I have a bit of an issue about the fact that you know, are we are we forgetting about roads and road improvements when we're yeah. so much investing? in walkways yeah well what tends look, look these are very initial ideas of some of my councillor colleagues have kind of seen the benefit maybe of what of the Dungarvan Greenway and that side of thing in Waterford and with the few potential you know with the one coming through South Kilkenny with New Ross and that end of it that you know that look I suppose from a councillor's perspective they're trying to 
set maybe the early stages of ideas into the development plan that we pursue maybe an idea of connecting it from South Kilkenny even to North Kilkenny. Look, and that's a huge project and you know, way, way, way down the line. But I suppose, look, they're trying to sow the seeds for the idea of it anyway because I've seen the benefit economically to, um, you know, to Watford and, and Kilkenny as a tourist destination, I suppose. Look, we have Trail Kilkenny and we have walks there as it is already and, you know, they could even be incorporated potentially. But I don't think it would affect, you know, to be honest, the roadside things. It definitely doesn't affect my mindset on it anyway because the budgets are completely separate, to be honest. The, the walkways and all that, that's all going to come from... That law be national funding anyway. It won't come out of our local funding, to be honest. Yeah, well, look, I, I, I confess a, I confess a bias and in, 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 in that one yeah. because I have a bee in me bonnet about the Hellbridge Cross to Ballyragan Road. As but yeah, that, oh, we, sure, we, look, we, we uh, can't, we will, we'll won't, we won't go through that here uh, with you this morning. To be yeah, fair to you, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a disaster area. No, it is a terrible area. Patrick, yeah. I, we can't hold a, a Kilkenny councillor responsible. To be fair to you, but I mean, there's no doubt about it. The whole communications from government and their whole rollout by the HSE in relation to the whole COVID nineteen vaccine, it. Yeah. Has has been a bit of a shambles now, and that's being honest about it from my perspective. But yeah. as I said, can't hold a Kilkenny councillor. But you, you must be annoyed, in fairness, because obviously your party is a, a party yeah. of government. Well, it's frustrating. Like, and, and look, again, I think it goes down to look. You said poor communication, but I think it's look, it's, it's over promising. You know what I mean? Like, I think anyone would have realised that the minute this kicked off, that vaccines were probably going to be in short supply, and there was going to be a big demand for them. And you know. You know, the companies were always going to sell the government, tell them they're going to, be able to do this, this, and this. That's sales for you, like. But realistically, when it comes to it, can they keep up with production? You, you, you know, it seems like they, they believed what the salesman was telling them and went straight to the public to tell them how quick they were going to, be able to do this. And realistically, there was always going to be challenges, stumbling blocks. And, you know, they probably should have wound down their communicate, well, wound down their. Uh, positivity on it, I suppose, even though we all need positivity, but, you know, this was leads to people's anger and, uh, you know, people kind of just losing faith in the whole system again. Yeah, um, and uh, over in the UK, they appointed a, a special minister in charge of the whole vaccine rollout, and I've seen that gentleman talking quite a number of times on in the media. He comes as impressive, assured of his position, knows what's happening. Uh, something I would have thought we should have done as a country is appoint even a junior minister to be even if it was just a, a short term like two year yeah. period to manage the rollout and be on top of it on a day to day basis and be the conduit between the HSE and the government yeah no it's a fair point um, and they haven't really answered any questions on that idea to be honest it's not something they seem to, to want to do like there's already junior ministry in the health department like you know it's not something maybe Anne Rabbit could have taken on uh, you know to take a bit of the pressure off off, off the others, you know. Um, there's definitely, there's, there's definitely, you know, sense in that idea. I can't say why or why or why they haven't pursued it. Um, you know, where I suppose the, the UK have gone a different route with kind of the one jab idea for the majority to get as, you know, get that initial, the initial resistance. Um, but look, they're still hopeful, I suppose, here of having lots of the population vaccinated by the end of June. Um, again, it's going to rely on. Supply, which again, you, you, we is again outside of our control. So they're they're trying to they're hoping that they're going to catch up. And fingers crossed they do. But look, it's it's a lottery really at the end of the day when it comes to two hundred and something countries with only three or four maybe companies producing vaccines and where they all go to is 
is anyone's guess yeah. at the end of the day, you know. Absolutely. Look, I know you, as I said earlier at the start, you work in the financial services area and uh, you may not be comfortable answering the question, but clearly, as a rural uh, councillor, clearly the impact of, of the Bank of Ireland and Ulster Bank decisions do affect rural Ireland because a number of the uh, branches are in your particular area. So yep. it, it obviously is is another another shot, of, you know, a kick in the backside for rural Ireland, whether we like it or not, notwithstanding that the post office network is going to pick up some of the activities that will uh, will be lost as a result of the bank's closing. Yeah, look, it's look in an ideal world, you'd like to see these still active, but the way the way banking is gone, like it, it, it's probably it's just not sustainable. I don't think for banks anymore to have you know staffing these banks when there's no cash, when there you know a lot of stuff is good gone online. Um, you know, in fairness to Bank of Ireland, the the you know, they did, you know, bring the on post with them, which is actually fantastic for the post network, to be fair. And, uh, you know, because that's always a concern in rural towns and villages, and that could save a lot of post offices in some of the rural towns that are left with, you know, moving some of their ba- the Bank of Ireland banking into it. Um, it. But doesn't it also create the potential for uh, security issues in rural post offices as well? Because clearly if people are using the post offices more for their cash banking, that poses real challenges. Yeah, and again... And we don't have police, so we don't have guards yeah. in many rural areas. It's true. And look, I'm not sure what um, services are being moved from Bank of Ireland to on post. Like, as I said, these most of these branches were, were cashless banks, I think, as it was anyway. So I'm not sure in the finer detail of what actually on post they're going to be providing. Um, but look, from my own perspective, I bank with Ulster Bank. I was, um, you know, I, so I literally was in the AIB last week moving things over. I said, well, it's fresh in my mind. I'm just going to get it done. Um, you know, it, it's a bit of a, a chore. But look, it is... It's, it's and there's no point in waiting around to the last no, minute anyway. To be um, fair, so look, it's I've I've been I've been so way affected. Look, it's not the end of the world for me, but um, I, I it, it is. It's the older generation again are going to are going to suffer the most. And again, in times where they are under you know obviously under lockdown more than anyone I suppose are more cautious about where to go and what to do uh, you know the fact that a local bank branch within five kilometres of them are somewhere where they're, they're used to and they trust of course and you know I've seen it with when I used to do you know the old Borbia job meeting farmers older farmers in particular in rural areas you know set routines their bank is there for them right. they deal they deal a lot look they deal a lot kind of they like to have cash more so than anything and you know that service going from them again is another kind of hit for for that absolutely now before i let you go the last uh, just a very small issue obviously like everyone you're looking forward to seeing a few slitters hit down in the field in Venice bridge and elsewhere 100 <laughs> percent. these training <laughs> programs are coming in taking fast i'm struggling to keep up with uh there you go with the, with yeah. the one with the, the individual saying you might have two jobs but you still have to keep the old fitness up the well, old uh, the Venice the Venice bridge junior a or b team will be looking for you to play a role Oh, well, fingers crossed, but, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, yeah, I wish I'd keep it up train, anyway. Not the train on my own. Ah, well, don't worry. <laughs> Listen, anyway, go back and mind that little girl of yours there and give your wife a break. And look, at I do thank you for taking time, Patrick, this morning. Uh, say, say well, both of you, and uh, look, good wishes in, in both your professional role is in the uh, in, in the financial service and, of course, as a councillor. And thanks for talking to us this morning. No problem, Nicky. Thanks, Okay, Nicky. thanks, Patrick.